Get Certified Together program is created by Technocofe, your free online knowledge sharing website, based out in London. any system we have this service account concept as well where we assign we create service account for the systems to talk within each other and those service accounts will have their own identity now that identity doesn't mean that you are authorized to do something as well so next concept comes is access management which actually cover two things authentication and authorization now authentication is something which on top of your identity help you At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello all, welcome to another episode of Get Certified Together series. I am recording episode number 39 today and in this episode we will be finally saying goodbye to domain 4 where we discuss about application security, different components around that. Like I told you, I really could have covered it in the last week episode as well. IAM is something which we are discussing about again and again. Those are like concepts which come in the baseline or which comes in the forefront whenever someone talks about security then we start with IAM so IAM is something you are quite familiar with by now I am also quite familiar with it and I have covered it again so it was not that big topic but I really want to cover it again in kind of like a separate topic or kind of as a separate episode so we'll be finishing it off domain 4 today and domain 5 will be kicked off as well and in domain 5 things will be covered around operational security of uh, of cloud infrastructure now just understand the whole path you can get an idea what we have done till now we started with domain one where we discussed about cloud basics and cloud infrastructure what are different deployment models service model and created this kind of uh, a platform on top of which we uh, set up other domains where we discussed about application security infrastructure or uh, what what we actually storing on the on our application or on our infrastructure is data so we covered about data security as well in domain two after going through with all of them now we are going to cover operational aspects and why i want to uh, give this kind of like overview to you guys because inside operational security you will find a lot of concepts which we covered already in different domains and you might wonder sometime that this is something with this is something i have already read about in domain three uh, this is something i already covered in uh, for example i can give you physical security or uh, or all these uh, active standby of power modules humidity and ventilation cooling of your infrastructure your physical data center business continuity and disaster recovery all these things we already covered in respective domain i think it was in domain three where we discuss about cloud infrastructure now those things will be coming back maybe in bit more detail but from the point of view of operation side what i mean by operational side is we will be covering more towards what are different kind of faults which can 
come into these components and how we actually have different solution in place how we can put different solutions to kind of like uh, save them or to kind of recover them if there is really some kind of operational fault earlier we discussed more towards uh, from the design or from the planning perspective and this one will be more towards day two and day one where we will be operating that environment so we will be covering many things again but from the operational view if you are in the tech field you are already aware of this uh, different departments and operations is completely separate department so they they will be working on the same thing they will be having the same technical knowledge but they will be working as an operations engineer which is completely different from planning engineer or developers or uh, product engineers so that's something which we will be doing in domain 5 as well we will be starting as an operations guy now before that i also told you about uh, my first conference which i will be attending in previous week uh, from ic square I went there and it was, trust me, a, a great experience. There were actually two speakers, so one from AWS and uh, he told about Landing Zone. So AWS have this service Landing Zone and Landing Zone Accelerators, where if I give you kind of like a short, short definition or a short insight on that, then Landing Zone is uh, something AWS provide where you can create a, a whole architecture using, using their recommended well architecture framework now what is well architected framework it's again a big thing but uh, to give you a short definition then if you for example want to want to create an application onto the cloud or want to deploy some infrastructure onto the cloud where you will start you need some kind of baseline architecture right now if you are really good from cloud architect side then you can create something on your own but AWS or Azure or Google Cloud, they all provide their own recommendations as well to help you out if you are new to the cloud. So you can follow those well-architected framework and you can follow those design. What Landing Zone essentially do is uh, it will help you create that design and it will refer those well-architected framework in backend and create a, a landing zone for you. So if you think from, from the gaming perspective, I think in PUBG, they call it the landing zone where all initial players, they drop from their planes. And I, I'm not a PUBG player, but I played it one time. I really didn't like it. So I think they all dropped and they all drop on a central location, a landing zone, and then they start working upon that. I don't know what they do, but yeah, that's, that's, I think it's derived from that side, but that's what landing zone is. Second session was around DNS security. And that, that was really incredible because uh, in DNS security, it was more towards uh, how people can spoof different domains, how they can create multiple domains of um, kind of like a famous site. For example, if you have, I don't know if you are using Barclays banking and you have barclays.co.uk, then people can make barclays.co.uk, but A can be with a different I don't know different symbol maybe something which maybe we as an end user who are in tech field or who are kind of smart enough to figure out we may figure out I don't know but if you are in rush even you can make that mistake but people like uh, like elder people or people who are not that tech savvy then they can come into this trap where they will think that this is an original domain or this is an original website and they can open that link so it can of course lead to multiple things it can lead to phishing attack it can even install some malware on, onto your local laptop or local mobile device from which you're accessing that domain you can even conduct this cross-site scripting attacks using that uh, spoof domain so second speaker was from infoblox infoblox is a renowned dns service provider and his session was around how people or how hackers or how different attackers can use this 
spoofing of domains to create these kind of like attacks on in different ways like i told it was a great session attending those listening to those two speakers and of course in between we had um, we had kind of this uh, networking session as well where we can introduce within ourselves we can talk and we can have this kind of like informal discussion on what you guys are up to and what you guys are doing so i also had a conversation with a couple of guys and it, it was really good so again i'll remind that if you have something similar nearby then you can go and get one you can join one chapter and see if they are having some session or planning something it's really good for us to who are starting in the security field and who are preparing for this maybe you can uh, have this networking with us another person who have done ccsp recently and they can help us out so there are multiple ways anyway and of course cpe so you will be getting some kind of cpe points and which will be reflected into your ic square membership account and if you recall cpes are the points which you accumulate over the time period of i think 3 years and uh that proves uh, that you are still active in cyber security or info security field and you can have your certification renewed or even your certification kind of having this credible authentication that yeah this this person is still active in the cyber security or information security so you you can get those cp points only by attending it so i attended it and i got some cp points i haven't checked how many i get if it's reflected in my account i'll let you guys know how much i get but there was certainly because our host told asked our membership id for those points so anyways uh, that's whole experience i wanted to share about uh, my first ic square conference and go check out if you have something nearby and if you can also attend something all right let's have a quick break and after that break we can start on our rest of the episode finishing domain 4 and getting into domain 5 All right, let's start with identity and access management. So, IAM stands for identity and access management. It's a short for short form or acronym for this whole authentication authorization. We simply call it IAM. AWS even have this own AWS IAM service itself. So they they were kind of like first in the cloud so they claim that name and of course then Azure and Google have to find something of their own. But anyhow, so IAM is kind of like that concept which cover everything around identity and access management. First of all, let's begin with identity. Now identity can be anything. It's of course it's person's identity, who you are. So if we talk about from like uh, in in our day-to-day life, it's my name. that's my identity but if you are in in any organization they they provide this employee id they can create some kind of like uh, earlier when i started my career when there was no single sign on concept we used to get this random numbers or random maybe alphabets which were treated as kind of like your identity now these days we have we can use our email id as a our identity as well because ultimately that email id can be then for the use for single sign on to different application if your organization have this setup in backend but again identity is something using which you can recognize a person so if i see an email id or i see a uh, employee id i can go to my organization's database and i can check that who who is this person and which department he or she belongs to and what they really do and it's public available means that's the whole concept of identity you have to show it to everyone to prove kind of like having this first step of authentication where you say that i am this person and hey it's my identity now remember it only show your name or your id it doesn't still show that you are still the person who you are 
and it doesn't still show that uh, because you have this identity means you can log in into a particular system or you can go inside a particular room or you can tap into a data center it doesn't work like that this identity is just a first level of uh, uh, first level of information about any person or any user or even any system we have this service account concept as well where we assign we create service account for the systems to talk within each other and those service accounts will have their own identity now that identity doesn't mean that you are authorized to do something as well so next concept comes is access management which actually cover two things authentication and authorization now authentication is something which on top of your identity help you get inside a system or help you get inside a department get inside into office building so you can have maybe a badge or you can have a id card you can have your password you can have different sort of uh, authentication mechanism maybe biometric or eye scanner those all will help authenticate or help prove your identity if for example you go to a a particular office as a visitor then what you show to prove your identity maybe you can show your id card you can show your driving license passport so that's your identity and you are proving it using some kind of authentication mechanism in this case it's driving license in case of organizations it can be employee id it can be your id card your badge reader everything will uh, will play ultimately the same thing they are authenticating and they are proving to someone who want to check that you are the legitimate person or you are the real user who want to go inside now once you are inside inside a system using your username and password once you are uh, inside an office building using your id card where you can go what kind of things you can do will be decided upon what kind of rights you have or what kind of uh, authority is provided to you to do something inside once you log in into machine you ssh into machine or you uh, log in into a server you log in into a web console of your cloud service provider what you can do once you are inside that is proven by or that is on top of your authentication which comes under authorization now in authorization it's specified by the name itself you are authorized by someone to do a certain set of tasks so if you are a developer you will have maybe a developer role into your application or your server if you are in system administration you have a system sysadmin role associated with you and you have that level of authority to commit something inside that application or inside that server if you are a root user then you have kind of like uh, full access to do anything inside the server or inside the application that whole concept is part of authorization what you are allowed to do or what you are not allowed to do you can sometimes explicitly stop something from people to do so that that is also part of authorization so you can for example if you are in finance department you can view a particular bill but to authenticate or to attest or to submit that bill for approval maybe you you can view and you can submit but you're not allowed to send it to the next level for approval unless someone else from your department also proves or also submit that along with you also approves that so you are uh, in back end you're explicitly denied uh, to submit or to authenticate or to attest a bill by a single approval so you need two approvals in that case and that's also part of authorization so authorization really covers what you can and cannot do inside an application or inside your system that's the whole crux of it 
Now for authentication itself, we have this multi-factor authentication and single authentication. Now single factor authentication is kind of uh, removed these days because uh, no one wants to use them. Of course, that's really insecure if you are only relying on a single factor or on a single mechanism to authenticate any user. So we are moving to this multi-factor authentication world where you need more than one mechanisms to prove your identity. So you can have maybe a password along with OTP or maybe a password along with uh, uh, your biometrics or maybe a password along with your eye scanner. So you can have a different authentication mechanism club together for proving your identity and and that's broadly covered into three different segregations so you can have something you are which is like who you are you can your eye scanner your biometrics that's something you are then something you have which is your otp devices or your uh, some kind of like ub key or any physical device which comes with a particular otp or particular time bound code which only you will know and which only you can use so that's something you have and then something you know which is which can be your password or a security questions which only you as a person can know so these three mechanisms can be used together either two or all three and that actually makes any authentication mechanism as multi-factor for authorization we can have role-based authorization we can have attributes based authorization we can have even more advanced authorization maybe tag to location of device so this particular rule will only be applied if someone try to access that system from this particular location so for example your your laptop may only be allowed to work when it's connected it to your office network and when it's into that geolocation and if it gets stolen or if someone's trying to use that laptop from some random location it won't really work because it's tagged to location based authorization so we can have this uh, different level of authorization as well different ways which we can improve our authorization security now that's whole iam concept of course iam in backend will rely on some kind of service or some kind of solutions which help any organization to set up this whole concept if you are uh, putting username password and you are having this role based authentication you have this single sign on thing going on you need some kind of solution in backend where if you think from from a logical concept what you really must be having you must be having some kind of like database where all the list of users with their respective id respective details as well as their authorization details everything will be stored in there so whenever you try to log in into your any front end system that front end system will send a request of authorization or authentication to that backend database now that backend database is called as directory service directory service as name say it coming from that i think old concept of having telephone directories where you have phone number and your name and address everything in a book something similar is now in this solution as well so you have this directory service where you have all the information of each employee or each worker inside that directory and any application or any person who want to refer something they can send a request to this directory and they can get that information in a reply so that's the whole concept of directory one of the famous or most widely used is uh, microsoft active directory or now they have this azure active directory as well for cloud based deployment so that's one of the example of uh, directory solutions
Now, of course, directory solutions will not reply to anything or any request message. They need a certain set of protocol or a certain set of standards as well. And that standard or that protocol is LDAP, one of the most commonly used. Again, we have different protocols or different ways which we can do it, but most commonly and widely used is LDAP, which is lightweight directory authentication protocol i think something like that but yeah so ldap is uh, one of the most commonly or widely used protocol for accessing the information from the directory services in the backend now from an end user perspective with all these uh, different solutions or different authentication mechanism coming in if you are suppose working on three or four applications simultaneously maybe you have opened your web console cloud browser in one window and in backend you are also working on a gitlab front end and you are also logged in into a using GUI or CLI to a different system, it's quite bad for end user to key in their credential always into each application again and again. And it's worse if they have to key in different credential into different different systems. And there the concept of single sign-on comes in. Now, single sign-on is nothing but uh, having this uh, single one-time signing. If you do that, on your browser, you can open multiple applications into your browser and they all will be authenticated using that SSO session which you already have. And you can reuse the same credential as well because ultimately all those system and all those uh, front-end application will be connected to a single Active Directory service or single whatever directory service which your organization is using. So single sign-on helps in reusing the same set of credential over maybe a time period of 12 hours or six hours based on how much your organization allows. So after 12 hours, that session will be terminated and you have to re-sign in and you have to re-put your credentials again. But yeah, you can use the same set of credential to access into different applications. Of course, there's a risk associated with it because if you lose your credential, somehow it's compromised, then anyone will be having access to all your system right away. So you you don't have this multiple system having different password. And if your one password is gone, the only system associated with, with that password will be impacted. In case of single sign-on, one password gone means all your systems where you are tagged as a single sign-on user will be compromised as well. So that's kind of like, if you say compromise, which we are doing, but of course it comes with a lot of benefits as well. And I have never seen any organization which stop user from using single sign-on. They always promote using it because as an end user is, of course, much easier to use single sign-on. Now we have another concept which is federated identity which takes single sign-on to a whole new level this is quite commonly used if you are a regular mobile user if you open your mobile device or even i think it's happening in in the web-based application as well or if you open some sites which recommends you to create an account first so they these days quite commonly gives an option of uh, reusing your google id to create an account reusing your apple id to create account that's a common example of uh, having federated identity so what what you really is doing you are asking this application to create account on your behalf but you are not providing any information yourself you are asking that application to go and check with google or go and check with apple and get my id details from there i have already created and i have a legitimate user id with those service providers you can go and get those details from that side and just create my account based on those details so you are, you are kind of uh, reusing your same credentials but now you are reusing it into a different website or into a different organization altogether. So that's kind of like a whole new level of single sign-on, which comes under 
a part of federated identity. Now it of course rely on an identity provider, which in our case can be Google, can be Apple, or can be anything which in backend we are using and relaying provider which send a relay request which in this case will be our front-end application where we are trying to create an account so my front-end application will relay the request to backend identity provider and backend identity provider will check everything and they will pass on my username password to this organization and this this front-end organization will then create a account for me and i can use the same set of credential like my gmail or my apple id to sign in into this new application or this new front-end some of the common standards which we use for federated identity are saml or open id connect these are kind of like uh, commonly used protocols or commonly used standards which help this whole federated identity concept to work now of course from an end organization perspective this whole iem concept is now getting more and more complicated we have a lot of solutions in the market we of course want our end users or our internal employees to have the single sign-on to have that kind of like a streamlined user experience but we also don't want to complicate things for them but we also don't want to compromise anything on the security side as well and if your security team is really good you can of course set up something yourself if not then you can take help of uh, some organizations or some companies some vendor solutions which provide this kind of services for you on your behalf they are cloud access security brokers csb so what they will do is they will sit in between enterprise and cloud service provider they will based on the use cases or based on the benefits which you are looking they will check with the csb what kind of solutions they have and they will create something for you kind of like a customized solution and help your organization set everything up so you don't have to do anything yourself you don't have to overwhelm yourself by uh, by looking into different csps and checking whether they are incompatible with whatever application or whatever servers you have on prem and how your user experience should look like they will do everything on your behalf by doing the whole hard work themselves and that's why they are called broker they are doing this kind of like intermediary between yourself and the csp of course they will ask a lot of money so if your organization is uh, really up for it you can pay for that and you can have uh, services from these casbs good part with this is they can create policies and they can even do configuration as well which uh, which if you are doing yourself you have to do everything and you have to create whole plan yourself but if you are paying some csb to do this for you then you can just uh, tell them that uh, I'm paying this money and I want my whole organizational policy to look like this. I want this standard to be followed and they will do it for you. So that's, of course, it saves a lot of time and hassle if you want to do it in a quicker way or if you really have a lot of money. All right, that's it for domain four. So like I told you, I covered a lot of things in IAM in domain four and that's why I wanted to cover it in the next week episode. So we are covering it today. Let's move into domain five. We don't have much time left, but at least we can kickstart domain five and I'll quickly cover two concepts related to operational security of cloud data centers. So like I said, we have already covered cloud data center before physical security and physical environment before as well in domain three, I believe, but we have to cover again operational point of view. Now, first and foremost to understand when we kickstart our cloud security operations journey is everything is still on the server. Everything is still running on some physical location where you are putting your server, where you are keeping them, how many locations you have is your location is near to some site or some place where you have kind of like this risk of uh, having uh, environmental calamities or anything. Is it really hot or is the weather nearby is humid or it's really cold? All these 
things drives where you want to put your data center at the first place now of course if you are a, a smaller country or if you are if you are in a place on the globe where you really don't have any choice maybe you are in middle east or maybe you are in uh, somewhere around the equator then you really don't have a choice of uh, having this cold environment of uh, of choosing your location out of different options you you always have to place your data center into the hot location and you really need uh, really need your acs to running every time and you really need cooling to make sure your servers is, server are always up and running but if you are in a country for example i think i'm really haven't worked back in india on data centers but i'm sure uh, companies there have a lot of option in some of the northern part there is hot climate but in the southern side it's relatively cooler in some place if you go really into the hilly areas it's much more cooler so as an organization they have multiple location because they have this different geographical region in a country i'm sure something similar will be in united states as well because country is so big so you have different locations from where you can choose from to deploy your data center because environmental conditions play a big role now we call all these four categories of environmental factors which drives the data center decisions as hvac now hvac is humidity ventilation and air conditioning so humidity is of course your how humid is the environment because of course water is enemy of your servers or water and servers they don't really work together and that's why you are your environment should be where you are placing your server should be less humid and then we have ventilation of course then how you are placing your servers if you are stacking them together if you are stacking the racks together are you providing some kind of ventilation in between and then air conditioning because everything need to be cooled your server and heat again they don't go together with each other and you want your server to always stay in a cool environment you can have different kind of concept related to this uh, racking where you have this hot and cold aisle where hot air from one server is going towards the cool air of another server so different type of layouts can be created from the operational perspective you of course need some kind of tools or some kind of sensors to be placed inside those sensors will be attached to some kind of monitoring system and you can have this kind of real life reading where you will get all the information what is happening inside the data center so what kind of temperature currently is what is the uh, humidity level and what is the and even what's the power module status is there an active standby status active standby power module both are running or one of them is down so you have to place all these sensors inside the inside the data center another decision which drives is uh, what is kind of like recommended action if something goes wrong so for example normally if we have this situation of fire we have this uh, water sensor which uh, sprinkles the water everywhere and fire to to help cope up with the fire in in any premise or any building but that solution is not relevant for data centers because data centers will be spoiled if you put water on them to save them from fire so you you should be having some kind of like uh, maybe gas or some kind of like a different kind of fire extinguisher which without impacting your data center life actually uh, help you deal with the fire situation so you have have to decide on what kind of actions also to be taken if uh, based on those sensory readings something is going wrong inside your data center now redundancy is one key concept because redundancy in terms of uh, local data center like how many modules or how many servers are there as well as on the physical or geolocation as well so if you are putting a, a particular data center in a particular location does it have a geo redundancy on a different location also plays an important role and also help you decide what kind of data center or what kind of uh, cloud operational environment you want to build now there can be different tier of data center as well we can have 
different situation or we can have different requirements from our data center and based on that we can really create kind of like a fully redundant and uh, fully compatible uh, fully functional data center which is always up and running or we can create kind of like a baseline architecture or baseline infrastructure of course to save cost and build a basic data center as well so we can start with from tier 1 to tier 4 tier 1 comes as kind of like lowermost category where you are creating everything based on baseline requirements so you are not thinking about creating a redundant maybe even in worst case a power source or maybe only redundancy on power level itself but there is no separate redundancy if a server goes down or if, if there is even a planned activity you need to shut down your server or you need to shut down your data center so everything is impacting the services and it's not of course recommended on production level normally it's used kind of like a standby site or hot or a warm or cold standby site if you want to create and place it somewhere which is not always used so it's kind of like a basic or completely zero level of uh, baseline architecture that's tier one in tier two we have a slightly upgraded version we have some basic level of redundancy we have some uh, we have some basic level of redundancy we are putting in a lot of effort in creating the whole architecture any planned outage will not really impact the services but unplanned outage will certainly impact the services we can expect services to go down we can expect applications to go down so we have to make sure in mind to not put business critical application onto this tier 2 data center most commonly it's used by those small organization which cannot pay a lot of money to set up the whole infrastructure so they can create this kind of uh, something which is on top of baseline but uh, which still can go down if there is an unplanned outage but for smaller organization maybe they won't be worried about that much in tier 3 we have a more complex environment where you have this production level data center which is having everything redundant and any planned outage will not impact anything any unplanned outage might impact some services if there is no redundancy on the application level itself so for example if you have three servers those three server itself they are running in n plus one mode so you you have one server as kind of spare but top of that server there is some application which is deployed as a virtual machine which don't have application redundancy on that vm level or virtual machine level then of course if something goes wrong with that server then application will go down but at least server infrastructure level everything is redundant but if something goes wrong with the whole site itself there is some physical calamity your whole infra will be gone your whole application will be gone and that's kind of like a worst level scenario because in this tier 3 you are setting up everything locally redundant but there is no geolocation for kind of like a standby site on different location which have everything and your whole business might be impacted if there is really a big outage but those small maintenance window or those small outages you may cope up with it without any impact so that's kind of like production level data center the tier 3 tier 4 is for really business critical application those government institution banking industry which really cannot cannot handle even a few minutes of downtime it can impact the business or in it can impact the whole government functioning itself those are tier 4 which have everything geo redundant everything is created on two different data center of course it costs a lot of money but no matter what will happen to any location or any server or any or any application your end users will not be impacted so that's kind of like a tier 4 data center of course 
all these system all these data centers again from operational perspective need to have some kind of solutions to monitor the physical server status as well so different physical server comes with their own solution or their own uh, softwares to monitor the physical health of the devices so by physical health i mean your ram is up or your power modules are up or your processors are working absolutely fine those are physical units of uh, those are physical components of your server and they should be always up as well to make sure your application which are deployed on top of that or even cloud infra layer your hypervisors which are deployed on top of that physical infrastructure is always up another concept is of bios which is related to hardware as well now bios is basic input output system which is kind of like first operating system which boots up whenever we turn on the hardware or server that bios health is also monitored using these uh, backend systems which are connected to your management network which is uh, provided by each hardware vendor so for example hp have i think ilo uh, dell has idrac so different uh, different servers have their own mechanism or or their own way of handling this or monitoring this physical health of infrastructure and of course everything is connected by a cable so you can monitor the cables you can keep them tidy you can keep them the whole area clean i think rats is one of the big risks to cable so you stop people from eating inside the data center because if you eat inside the data center then rat they can come and they can cut your cable so all these are op from operational point of view how you can make sure your data center is always up and running and how you make sure that your data center is redundant your data center is safe and is there any outage in that or if there is any issue in that you can monitor it real time based on all this uh, softwares or all the solution provided by each hardware service provider and you can monitor using those application or those front end guis and make sure everything is up and running all right that's it for kicking off cloud operational security we started with making sure our infra is operational and how we can have different tiers of data center and we how we can have different mechanism to make sure that our data center is always uh, uh, working without any outage or without any destruction of data or uh, deletion of application on top of that in next week we will be covering the next layer of cloud again coming to virtualization application we will cover different concepts around that and if in meantime i get any other news around ic square or anything around conferences then i'll of course share it with you guys as well in the next week episode till then please keep studying and goodbye and good luck thank you for listening to get certified together if you loved our content then please like and subscribe from your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss the notification for our next episodes and announcements <laughs>